Welcome to In Conversation, the regular podcast of Encompass. Go to encompass-europe.com for free access to all our podcasts to date. My name is Paul Adamson, and this is the second in a series I'm conducting with Nobody Left Outside, NLO for short. The NLO is a collective of organizations representing people in some of the most marginalized communities in Europe, including homeless people, LGTBI people, people who use drugs, prisoners, sex workers, and undocumented migrants. People in these groups are known to be at greater risk of poor health while facing many barriers in accessing healthcare. The COVID-19 crisis has brought into sharp focus the stark inequalities that exist in access to health and social services for marginalized people who often exist outside formal healthcare and social support systems. While COVID-19 has affected, of course, the entire population, marginalized communities have faced particular challenges requiring specific policy responses. At the same time, the pandemic has created a critical momentum supporting a greater role for the EU in public health and health system preparedness, pushing these ideas and issues to the top of the political agenda. With this podcast series, we would like to build on this momentum, casting a spotlight on the situation of marginalized people in Europe during the NLO week to create time and space for representatives of these communities to share their first-hand experience, challenges and potential solutions. The NLO initiative as a whole, NLO Week 2020, and this podcast series have been initiated and are supported financially by MSD, but the views expressed in this podcast are those of the invited guests and not necessarily those of MSD. And further background information are available on the NLO website, nobodyleftoutside.eu. Now let me turn to my guests, Mariana Paraskeva, Senior Policy Officer at what's called DG EMPL, the Social Affairs part of the European Commission. Michelle Lavoie, Director at PICOM, which stands for the Platform for International Cooperation on Undocumented Migrants. And Lucas Stevenson, an activist and coordinator at ICRSE, the International Committee on the Rights of Sex Workers in Europe. Before we start our conversation, everyone, why don't you tell us briefly what you do? So start, first of all, with Mariana. What do you do all day? Uh, what is my actual job, in fact, now? It is to uh, support the geographical desks in DG employment to implement the European Social Fund, which is a main fund that we have uh, in the European Union for supporting uh, human capital development, uh, access to employment and social inclusion, uh, as well as education and training and uh, a fund that was created uh, six years ago, the Fund for the European Aid to the Most Deprived, that is also uh, a tool we have in order to reach out to those who are left behind and we want them to include them in the society. And this is a fund that is not related at all uh, to uh, having a job, or whatever other requirements. It's a fund that is addressing uh, homeless people, uh, undocumented migrants in some member states, uh, uh, people who have uh, lost their jobs, uh, and uh, ex-prisoners that uh, still are uh, li living at the margins of the society, and all those groups uh, that uh, with which uh, NLO is uh, working uh, together. Now, I have to say that uh, in my previous working life, I worked a lot also on uh, gender equality and also on poverty and social exclusion. And uh, in the course of these years, 
I was uh, uh, faced with many challenges when it comes to the support that is needed for those groups, because what we have seen, uh, especially now with the crisis, is that uh, you know employment is the uh, first and foremost preoccupation of member states. So most of the money goes there and not to social inclusion. And our aim is, in fact, to promote social inclusion. Okay. Well, we'll come in a moment, Mariana, to yes. the impact on your job of the, the, the COVID crisis and, and the new funding being brought in by the, by the EU to, to, uh, to, to try and address the, the issues, social issues surrounding the, the pandemic. Uh, Michelle, over to you. What is your, what is your day job? So I'm the director of PICOM. Um, it's a network of around 160 organizations, including LUCAS, uh, who are members uh, who work directly with undocumented migrants, uh, mainly in the EU. Uh, we have members uh, actually in uh, around uh, 30 countries, but so the EU and kind of the neighboring uh, border regions of Europe. And our members work on various uh, issues such as access to healthcare, housing, fair working conditions, the situation of undocumented children, gender, um, as well as alternatives to detention and return. Okay, thank you. And Luca. Uh, so my name is Lucas Stevenson and I'm the coordinator of ICRSC. ICRSC is a network of around 100 organizations in 35 countries in Europe and Central Asia who uh, this organization provides services or advocates for the rights of sex workers. And by sex workers, we mean anyone who work in the sex industry, many prostitutes, uh, but also it can be people working in strip clubs or in the porn industry. So a lot of different uh, workers in a quite stigmatized and criminalized uh, industry. Okay, thank you, Luca. Well, as, as we all know, the purpose of these podcasts is to talk very much about the present, but more importantly, the future, and not so much on the past, and see what, how we can all share collective uh, knowledge and insights to, to, to just help address these issues around the pandemic. But before we do all that, um, my opening question is to look back briefly, if you could all give some thought to that. We've now been living with the pandemic for several months uh, since uh, early spring. Uh, what do you think, what kind of lessons have we learned in the, in the months since, say, March, February, March, uh, up until today? What, what, would you, what strikes you as maybe one of the most important lessons you've learned? Maybe, Mariana, you can start. Uh, first of all, I, I think that uh, the role of public health came into a prominent position. Huh? Right. So far, uh, public health in many member states has been neglected. And uh, uh, this is uh, very, very important uh, to consider together also with uh, the fact that we need to work uh, for preventing things happening uh, and not letting things uh, go uh, beyond uh, what we can uh, manage. And uh, then the second uh, uh, aspect that uh, for me uh, came forward is the diversity of approaches and the diversity of uh, uh, means that are available at the level of the member states. <laughs> and the third uh, is that uh, globalization uh, was uh, has demonstrated its uh, destructive effects on uh, the resilience of the, uh, of the uh, member states of the European Union, huh? mm -hmm. who were totally dependent on what China could uh, deliver in terms of protective material. And, uh, you know, uh, at the moment uh, that this was not possible to be uh, implemented, 
uh, everything collapsed in many countries, huh? including in right. Belgium. Right. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll try and draw from the lessons learned uh, in, as the conversation progresses, Mariana. Over to you, Michelle. What do you think are the most important lessons that you've learned or that have been learned by others since the pandemic first struck? Yeah, I think if we consider also the group that PECOM works with undocumented migrants, uh, we've seen uh, for many of these different groups that all of our civil society networks work with, um, that the pandemic has most likely exacer exacerbated existing problems of exclusion. And if we look at just undocumented migrants, um, we saw that many actually lost their jobs. Uh, many undocumented have to work in the informal economy to begin with. And then a lot of this actually seemed to collapse partially. Um, and so they lost their jobs on which they were dependent for income. They were ineligible for income support. They never had been before the pandemic, but as as all of us um, saw the impact of people losing jobs, uh, people that we knew, uh, you, you could never close your eyes to the fact that the, the economy suffered greatly, but governments actually, for the most part in Europe, were trying to step in to offer people who were unemployed um, or through businesses support, and undocumented could not benefit from that. So we saw that the, it, it was exclusive, uh, exclusionary before the pandemic. It was exacerbated by the pandemic. The same with housing. Uh, undocumented lived primarily in housing in the private market uh, to begin with, where they faced severe exploitation from unscrupulous landlords. And that actually worsened in the pandemic because housing itself became an issue. People were told, don't crowd together. Uh, avoid yeah. being in these, these yeah. terrible places with poor ventilation. And yet that's the only choice that a lot of undocumented had. Mariana referred to healthcare, and that's really, I mean, that's the, at the heart, obviously, of this whole issue. Before the pandemic, it was, it, it has been very difficult for undocumented to get access to healthcare without fearing that they could be deported because they are presenting themselves to immigration authorities. And this was actually worsened during the pandemic. So these are maybe just three examples of areas that we see with our group, but it's, in a sense, has just made the situation worse. And it's also shown, I think, I think um, the pandemic has shown that, uh, especially concerning public health, if you don't treat the whole population, the whole population will suffer. Um, and that's a public health principle. And this mm -hmm. is especially true for groups in the population that are still neglected, even during the pandemic now, in terms of healthcare and other areas. Just my own information, maybe, Michelle, given that your members are undocumented, do you, is it possible with reasonable accuracy to tell us roughly how many undocumented people there are in the European Union, undocumented migrants? Yes, the, the best and more credible estimate is now 10 years old. Uh, so this is from a project called Clandestino that DG Research funded. Then it was estimating between two to four million undocumented. Mm -hmm. um, there's no re reliable current estimate, okay. but, um, but it'd I mean, be in the same ballpark, you think? Probably, most likely. Okay, thank you. Uh, moving on now to, to Luca, what lessons do you think have been learned either by you and your, your colleagues or about the, from the, by the authorities? Well, I think one of the, the key issues is that uh, member state or the EU must really have an honest and rational conversation about sex work and prostitution. Over the last 20 years, we've seen an increase of criminalization of sex work across Europe, in particular with the introduction of the Swedish model of criminalization of clients of sex workers, which has already made sex workers much more precarious in many countries, such as Ireland, France, Norway, Sweden, etc. 
And this crisis has really revealed that it's not possible to treat a public health crisis without the involvement of the most marginalized and stigmatized members of society, including sex workers. So what we have seen is that sex workers during the crisis were not able to make a living anymore, uh, whether sex work was a choice or lack of option, survival, whatever the reason people were engaging in sex work in the first place. We saw that the crisis left, it, left them without income and without any support from the government, no economic support, no social support in the majority of countries, and in particular in countries where prostitution or sex work is criminalized. And what we are demanding, we've always been demanding, but even more during this crisis, is that sex workers be invited at the table to discuss policies that would benefit them. Um, and that's, as, a, as a Michelle was saying, goes about housing, uh, healthcare, um, poverty, etc. So I think that's really the, the, what we've seen is really that even when some sex worker organization approach governments and ministries, whether in Ireland and France, and ask, our members are simply starving because they don't have income anymore. And they only rely on the bit of money they were able to save or on friends or family, and there is no income for them. They were refused by governments saying that we don't recognize prostitution as a form of work. We define prostitution as violence against women. Therefore, your organization is not entitled to funding from our, from our ministries, etc. And that has actually left uh, sex workers in extremely precarious situation. So I think we really need to step out of this ideological debate about prostitution, whether it's like a moral issue, what is the right, but really listen mm -hmm. to sex workers and develop policies with sex workers. Is, is the problem for the, also for the people you represent, Luca, not just that they are often not recognized by the governments where they, in the countries where they, where they live, but also they are, as Michelle would say, they are part of the informal economy as well. Yes, absolutely. So even in countries where prostitution is legal, like Germany and the Netherlands, only a few uh, sex workers are able to work legally. A large number of sex workers are undocumented migrants or asylum seekers or may belong to different groups for whom it's difficult to, to work legally. Maybe they are drug users, maybe they have like other reasons why they are not able to work legally, or there are many burdens that make it very difficult to register, etc. So as they work in the informal uh, economy, it means they are not allowed to, uh, to get any benefits from, from the state. Okay, thank you, Luca. Back to you, Marianne, if I may. Uh, you talked about your, your, your job and, and the funding of these various initiatives that, uh, that you're uh, involved in. But obviously, we now know there's quite a major, quite enormous, frankly, uh, recovery package, uh, more or less agreed by member states. I know there are some issues about eligibility and conditionality, but let's assume that they're not there for the moment. Um, from your point of view, how, uh, how successful has this been in terms of the, the funding aspect of the, re, uh, the recovery and how, uh, from your perspective and your vantage point and your part of the European Commission, how is your work now changing as a result of this new recovery fund? First of all, I wanted to go back to what Michelle mentioned because it's true that uh, the money available so far went only to employment. And uh, social inclusion, social services have been completely neglected, despite the fact that in many countries they were the ones to suffer. Not only the workforce, but also those who would eventually need to benefit from the social services. Services, And with the confinement, in most countries, the services stopped to, to function and... Um, the people who would benefit from them, they could not uh, uh, avail. 
of that uh, support. Now, um, what we see also currently is that um, uh, in, the, in terms of the delivery of the European Social Fund programs, uh, all those programs that um, uh, are dealing with social inclusion measures are stopped and the money is redirected to employment or education and training. And uh, this is unacceptable. Uh, we as uh, officials, we have raised this issue with a hierarchy, but uh, the line to take uh, is that uh, member states are free to make their choices and redirect the money where they think it's most important. Can I interrupt you, Mariana? How many member states, roughly, without you haven't got to name names, but what proportion? How many member states are, are following all, that line? Almost all of them. Are. Oh, really? And even yeah. even those who are considered to be socially uh, oriented, right. Spain, for example, uh, to name one, uh, two uh, major social inclusion uh, programs were stopped, and money redirected to employment and to training. And uh, so, and this is a uh, um, common knowledge. And in order to avoid uh, having uh, these things happening again, we are envisaging with um, a task force, uh, informal task force that was put together by the social service providers to take some measures in order to support the social services working at national level to liaise with the managing authorities of the funds and at least benefit from some of the money that is available. Now, uh, as you know as well, uh, the agenda of the, the new commission is very much, again, uh, oriented to issues like green, digital, upskilling and reskilling, and social inclusion is nowhere to be seen. You must have heard the speech of the union uh, uh, speech of our uh, president, Ms. von der Leyen, and uh, the only social related, uh, socially related issue is the minimum income, which again, yeah. it is just about support, uh, providing uh, financial support. Mm -hmm. But having financial support does not mean that you have also the possibility to access the services that you need. And this is for a whole range of people with whom we are working. Huh? So, so the recovery plan, uh, it's uh, again uh, meant to be delivered throughout all the areas, but the priorities that have been set up, the flagships, as we call them, mm. uh, the only social element that they include is uh, uh, an element of upskilling and reskilling of the workers. Right. But you're talking about, to be precise, the, the flagship programs of the, the new van der Leyen Commission. Exactly. Since a year. exactly. exactly. As, as opposed to the recovery fund, which has been instituted since then, of course, because of the pandemic only started but, after yes. the start In fact, of the, the van der recovery, Leyen Commission. Yes. The recovery plan has, uh, let's say, two elements. It's uh, the, what we call this next generation EU. It's yeah. the additional money that was raised. But also it is uh, the structural funds that are decided in the context of, of the multi-annual financial uh, right. uh, framework. I, so I don't, I don't put words on your, just to be clear, Mariana, uh, for my benefit again, are you saying that um, even in the context of next generation EU, it'll, you're concerned that there's not enough emphasis on social inclusion uh, in, the, yes. in the conditionality yes. attached to those funds? Is that what you're yes. saying? Yes. 
and what I say is that, for example, we have under this uh, uh, next generation EU, we have what we call REACT-EU. REACT-EU is the continuation of uh, the programs that have been running up until 2020 for two more years and the possibility uh, of additional money added to be used for the different areas that we are supporting, employment, social inclusion, and education and training. So we are trying at least at this stage to, uh, to, to have some social inclusion, but as I mentioned, uh, that uh, the case of Spain, the money is redirected uh, from social inclusion to employment and training. Eh? Yeah. Okay. There's a lot you're saying that I'm, I really want to carry on talking to you, but it's important that I bring in the other speakers as well. But, but um, let's try and make time before we conclude, Mariana, to come back to that. Uh, back to you, Michelle, if I may. Uh, so you said at the beginning when I asked you that uh, obviously the pandemic has exacerbated existing problems of exclusion. Do you see, uh, let's try and be positive if we can, do you see any signs of that exacerbation uh, diminishing over time or is it still as acute now as it was at the very beginning? I think it's a good question. I think lockdown posed a lot of problems. We, we actually carried out a survey of our members and they noted that uh, they were getting more requests for basic needs, um, help with uh, giving people food, um, whereas they were an organization maybe specialized in labor claims and they were then, asked being, then being asked to do these basic things because people didn't know where to go. Um, so I think as the lockdown has somewhat eased, we are maybe getting out of those uh, somewhat acute situations. But as Mariana said, the pressure is still very much on the social services sector um, because they have been squeezed. Um, a lot of our members Members actually are very worried about how they will actually continue this work overall. Mm. Um, funding for them has always been an issue, even more so now. Um, so I think that there's, we also have members, for example, many migrant women who um, couldn't necessarily do a lot of their jobs, um, many of them in the domestic work sector, um, because of lockdown, but then also finding difficulties in helping their own children. Um, who were also at home because of the, you know, the situation of schools. And so I think a lot of situations have uh, continued. Um, and there's a lot of, I think, fear going forward, especially how these organizations will be able to continue to meet the needs of people who've been left out of systems up until the pandemic and who are definitely hurt even much more during the pandemic. Luca, a uh, question to you. We heard actually in the first podcast in this series, uh, one or two of the speakers saying that this this pandemic is not just a uh, is is no longer just a crisis uh, a disease you use the word of the elderly it's also one of a poverty that uh, now poor people across the board no matter where they come from whatever age they are uh, suffering now more even more than the elderly as the as the as the months go by uh, do you agree with that assessment uh, yes absolutely we know that. Uh, many people, the majority of people working in the sex industry do it because of uh, financial reasons. Uh, many don't have other form of employment because they are migrants or part of the LGBTI community, trans women in particular, people who use drugs. And suddenly this loss in, of income has been extremely uh, difficult for, for them. Uh, what, we, what we've seen is actually uh, a wave of suicide uh, in our communities. We have uh, many members in our organization, uh, many women, in particular trans women, who suddenly face uh, inability to buy food, to buy medication, to pay for the rooms. Often they are staying in uh, 
hotel, for example, mm. or were staying in Brussels and the Brussels were shut down. And suddenly we're left with absolutely no support. And we have many colleagues who, uh, who committed suicide during, the, during this, uh, this crisis. And we are quite worried about, about the future because we don't know what's going to happen next. And we are not seeing sex workers being included in discussion about how to prevent uh, more poverty, more mental health crisis. And two days ago, for example, in Brussels, uh, the, the city of Brussels announced a ban on prostitution in the city of Brussels. But the, the sitting uh, COVID as a reason for that, right. they've done that without providing any form of income or social support to some of the most precarious uh, workers, uh, women who might have a drug dependency, who work in the streets and have no other income than, uh, than prostitution. So I think we also see the COVID crisis being used uh, to basically uh, get rid of uh, social issues that right. uh, some uh, cities or governments want to get rid of. And that is really not the right approach to, to protecting people who are marginalized. Okay, thank you, Luca. Unfortunately, we're coming to the end of this fascinating discussion. The time has just gone by so quickly. Um, so I'd like to conclude with all three of you by asking you essentially the same question. If you had an opportunity, say, as I said in the first podcast, and you're in a, the European Council, maybe Marianne has been in a number of European councils where you're, you're sitting in front of European leaders and you have an opportunity to, to make a recommendation or suggestion of what they should be doing, because we are trying to look for, for solutions here, not just analyze the current rather dire situation we, where we've been discussing for the last half an hour or so. So each of you in turn, if you had one recommendation or suggestion, if you want to add another one, I'll, I'll, you can squeeze that in as well, that you would give to political leaders to, 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 to help address the situation we're in, what would it be? Mariana, you first. So for me, it would be um, to ask them that to, let's say, to translate solidarity, not only solidarity for business and for employment, but for all people, for everybody, regardless of its status, so that nobody is left behind. For me, that is solidarity. It's not just... Uh, caring about the business and the employment and uh, uh, the sectors uh, and the digital and the green. I agree that they are important, but I think that uh, I'm, I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed, I have to say. Right. I was expecting much more, much more in terms of, you know, lessons learned from this crisis. Yeah. And uh, yes, and no. when I heard, yes, I'm very disappointed. Well, the more I hear you speak, Marianne, the more I think you should be a European commissioner, but that's maybe for another day um, in your next career, Marianne. Um, Michelle, if you had your speaking time in front of all those Europe's leaders, the European Council, and you have a moment to say, give your, your analysis and your recommendation, what would it be? I think that uh, we see that the way the migration policy in the EU is um, developed, it's uh, very much around enforcement uh, and kind of linking migration with security and focusing on borders and uh, return. And this has been the whole focus of the migration pact that was just released last week. But this denies the reality of millions of people who are here. Um, who many of them will not be returned, who live in the societies, uh, who are children, um, who contribute to societies, uh, and who have needs like any of us. Um, 
And so they, they need access to healthcare, decent housing, decent work, uh, children need to go to school. And so I think on the one hand, it's to recognize the reality, to be aware of the reality. It is a situation uh, that has been existing in Europe for decades. Um, and to recognize the efforts that many member states have already done um, on the national level, on the regional governmental level within member states, on the city level, to recognize the needs of undocumented migrants and to build on them, to talk about them, to analyze them and build on them. So for example, uh, there have been two regional governments in Spain that um, helped in income support for undocumented through civil society during the pandemic. Uh, the Irish national government um, issued a, a, a policy around firewalls, making sure people could access healthcare without fearing um, their own safety and that they could be deported during the pandemic. Um, some city level governments in uh, the Netherlands um, worked together with civil society to enable undocumented access to shelters during the pandemic. These are just some examples, but we have examples that span decades in the EU. And that's a reality and we need to discuss them and, and look at them and promote them. Okay, uh, final word to you, Luca. Uh, yes, as I was saying earlier, I think it's crucial that sex workers and their organization, in particular organization led by sex workers, such as ICRC, uh, be invited to discuss with policymakers on how to best protect, uh, protect their needs. And one of the way to one of the obstacles uh, is the criminalization of sex work clients or third parties. We know that as long as sex work is criminalized, sex workers don't feel they have uh, they can have trust in the authorities, in the police, in the health services, etc. And we usually point at New Zealand as the best model for for sex work or prostitution. Uh, New Zealand has decriminalized sex work, and during the pandemic, uh, has been working with sex worker organization to uh, provide benefits, support, economic support, social support to sex workers, so that sex workers were not forced to choose between to choose between uh, going back to work and putting their life and the life of their family uh, and community at risk or, or, or not working and then risking um, homelessness and precarity etc so we really encourage uh, governments and uh, eu officials to get in conversation with sex workers to include sex workers and to possibly learn from the hiv crisis you know we we went through this hiv crisis and now the world health organization and many health organizations recommend that sex workers be directly involved in the development of services, in the implementation of services. And I think it's not possible to develop a proper public health response while excluding some of the mass marginalized uh, groups such as sex workers, undocumented migrants, etc. Thank you, Luca. We have to bring this to, to a close, unfortunately, We've run out of time, but um, I'd like to thank all three of you. Uh, you've obviously all been very knowledgeable, but you're also, uh, on top of all that, very articulate and also very persuasive. And I just hope that uh, the messages you've been giving uh, during the last half an hour or so will be listened to by, by Europe's leaders and will find a path forward. Thank you all very much for your time. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.